Delighted to have you present with us this morning. Um, if you're visiting, what at this time we turn our attention to the scriptures for Dr. Benson's memorial service. I was, I was asked to bring a homily. If you're not familiar with a homily, that's in more liturgical uh, circles. It's uh, really taking a, a section of scripture and you just read it and then you make comments on it. And I'm looking at the time this morning, so this is going to have to be a homilette <laughs> so we can get to uh, the Lord's table this morning. Also want to, uh, I don't want to embarrass them, um, I'm just going to mention their, their names. I uh, swim early in the morning, and uh, I have a couple of friends here that I have met there that are visiting this morning. One of them, if I ever forget her name, I can't remember my own then because her name is George Ann. So it's an easy one for me to remember. And Carol, welcome to both of you this morning as well. They can tell you um, that I'm not going to make the Olympic trials because I swim at manatee speed, which is... Uh... So we will turn our attention here to the Word of God for a few minutes and ask the God of the Word to work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord God of heaven above, we look to you. We gladly confess there is no other God but the one who is triune in nature, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we pray this morning that the one who sees beyond the exterior who sees the interior, who knows not only our actions, but our thoughts, our motives, the intents of the heart. Would you be pleased to work in grace and mercy in the heart and life of each person present this morning, including my own, to bring glory to yourself? So lead that, O Gloria, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been walking through the Gospel of Matthew and what's called a continuous uh, uh, exposition. We started in chapter 1, verse 1, and now we are down to chapter 9. Chapter 5 through 6 and 7, uh, the most famous sermon that has ever been preached called the Sermon on the Mount. These are the words of Jesus. Blessed are these kind of people who have the stamp of divine approval upon their lives. And we saw those eight qualities. And then he walks through how important it is to not just have an external righteousness, but internal in the heart. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, by no means, the most emphatic way of saying that in the Greek text, by no means will you ever enter the kingdom of heaven. And he wraps up that sermon this way. There are two ways to build your life. The only sure way is to build your life upon his words, his sayings, what he has to say that points to himself as the only Savior for sinners. And not only to know those words, but to do them, to be a doer of the word. And then in chapter 8, we begin 
to look at, okay, now there's the words of Jesus in 5, 6, and 7. Now we have the works of Jesus that validate his words. And we looked at, first of all, there was, a, there was an unclean leper. They're coming down from the Sermon on the Mount. Here comes a leper that shouldn't be touching anybody, and they're making a way for him. He's crying out, unclean, unclean. And he comes to Jesus and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus touched him, touched a leper. In the same hand that grasped him, healed him. Then we looked at the account of Peter's mother-in-law. Dr. Luke, in his account, has she had a great fever. And Jesus came in, and he grasped her hand, and immediately the fever left her. No recuperation time. She got up, and she started serving them. And then many came the summary after the sun had gone down. I take it probably was Shabbat that day. And then they came in. And Jesus healed many, cast out demons. And then we had a little warning there about a call to discipleship. Jesus says, don't be superficial. If you're going to follow me, here's what it looks like. Then immediately we went to the disciples. That great storm, windstorm, probably came down off the Golan Heights. They're out there on the boat, and they're about to sink. Jesus is asleep in the back. The boat's getting swamped. The waves are going over. And they woke him up. Master, don't, don't you care? We're perishing. He says, oh, you of little faith. He just spoke his words. He spoke. And there was immediate calm. And they, <laughs> their remark was, who is this? But even the winds and the waves obey him. And then we go to the next account with the Gadarene demoniacs. You want to know who it is? Well, you're going to have now a testimony by his enemies. The demons are going to cry out. And so there's two up there in the area, and uh, they were overpowering people. People had tried to subdue them with chains, and now they, one in particular is emphasizing he just broke off the chains, and he sees them landing on the boat, and they rush down to overpower them, and all of a sudden they recognize who this is. And they go, we know who you are. We know who you are, Son of God. Have you come to torment us before time? They know infallibly who he is now, but they are in rebellion against him. And then we come, the, these healings go in, uh, in threes, and so the last of the triple healing here. And I think Luke does that for us to be able perhaps to remember them more easily. I don't know for sure if this is in topical order or in chronological order as we come here to chapter 9. And we come to this account of what I will call indisputable evidence. All three synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record it. It is validation of the words of Jesus by the works of Jesus. Jesus himself said, if you don't believe my words, believe my works that testify of me. So... We're going to go here. Here's the Roman, Roman Empire all around the Mediterranean world. They are now the conquerors. And this little section over here in Israel is where all the action is taking place.
This is where Christ was born. Apart from down in Egypt for a brief time as when his parents fled down there for safety. And then we'll go up in Tyre and Sidon, what is now Lebanon, for a short time period. But everything is going to... I, I read... I haven't gone through and analyzed it that way in terms of the number of pastors, but it said that 85% of Jesus' ministry was up there in Galilee around the Sea of Galilee, about 860 feet below sea level. So if that's, if, if that's the case, my arrow is not, whoop, I went, my arrow wasn't in he, he's over there at Kersey, and if it's in chronological order, and then he's going to head over to back to Capernaum. Remember, Nazareth was his hometown until they rejected him, tried to throw him off the cliff, and he just walked right through the midst of them because his time was not, not yes. And so we're headed back to Capernaum. And because of the time, I'm not going to turn to all the passages. I'm just going to summarize it uh, uh, for you. Um, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples. He crossed over the sea, and he came to his own city. His own city now is Capernaum. They're on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. His disciples are with him. And sometime has passed that Mark relates for us. Um, and immediately when the crowds realized that he was back there, and I take it at home, remember Jesus said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. At this point, I take it he has made his, his home there uh, at, at Peter's home. And so immediately we jump up on one of those days as he was teaching. As he was teaching. So, um, here we go. So now the setting is this. You have Pharisees, where you see the white line all the way down there at Jerusalem, have come all the way up. He's getting attention. They've heard about him. And from both Judea over there in the day, the, the main religious leaders have come up and they have heard about him, and he is inside the home. I take it this was probably Peter's home. And the setting is now that the scribes and the Pharisees, who are the honored religious leaders, are going to be sitting around him, and he is in the midst of them, and he is teaching. Now, we're not told here specifically what he's teaching at this time, but if you look at all the teaching of Jesus, it always comes back to this. Repent, repent, and believe in the gospel. And what's the gospel? He's the good news. You need to repent and believe upon him for the forgiveness of sin. And so he got into a boat. He's there teaching. And as he was teaching, Pharisees, teachers of the law, were sitting around who had come from every uh, village of Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was upon him to heal. In addition to the religious leaders, sitting inside the house, there was a large crowd outside the house. Mark adds that many were gathered together. There wasn't even room to get in through the door. Now, my home's not 
that large, but it was probably larger than Peter's house. I don't know. We've had 50-plus people in our, in our house uh, from the church when we've, we've had people over. That was before Bentley built the, the, the deck for us with the railing, and uh, it, it was pretty full. But we didn't have people gathered around, crowded around the outside. But you can imagine the setting here. So inside is Jesus' teaching. People have come from everywhere, and they're gathered around on the outside, and you can't even get through the door, and they're trying to listen what Jesus is saying in there as he instructs the, the people. And then, now notice again in the text, look at your text. Remember, Matt, Matthew in particular, Levi, the, the tax collector, he will often use in an account a word in Greek, idu, means behold, look at this, it's an attention getter. He wants you to pay particular attention to this. So we looked at that in the preceding one with the demoniacs, verse 29, behold. And then verse 32, behold, verse 34, behold. So we're going to find uh, the same thing here in chapter 9. The first thing he says, after, after we have the setting, what's taken place, Matthew 9, 2, Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now take a look at this scene. I don't know how far they, come, they came from. There's four men. I take it the litter, whether it was an ad hoc thing that they had created. It probably had two poles, two men in the front, two men in the back. And boy, if I had friends like that, you got friends like that you got some trustworthy friends. They have heard that Jesus is the one who can heal, and their friend can't walk. Now, paralytic there in, in the Greek text, it doesn't indicate whether it was a quadriplegic or a paraplegic. It was paralyzed. It's obvious from the text he's not able to walk. They have to carry him on this uh, litter. And it's also a word there, he, w he was cast down. He was lying down. He was thrown down. And that indicates that it was more than just a paraplegic. And so they're bringing him, and they get there, and they go, we're in trouble. <laughs> Look at all those people. We're, we're not going to be able to get through the door, let alone through the crowd. What are we going to do? How are we going to get them to Jesus? Now, if you, if you have some friends that aren't all determined, they go, they look at their friend, uh, we're not told their names, he just looks down and go, sorry, we carried you all this way for nothing. Obviously, we got to get around and just go back home. And their thinking is, no, we are determined. We are determined. So they're talking with one another, how are we going to do this? Well, let me give you, uh, it, I'm going to call it, not the door, up to the roof, down through the roof, quickly here. So here's Here's what happens. Uh, most first century houses were, were one level, and uh, this is from Rittmeyer Archaeological Design. They were, uh, he and his wife are archaeologists, and they have gone and done extensive study in the remains there, and they devised that it was probably something like this. So most have a flat roof. Look, if you came to my house and you start digging a hole through my roof, I'm going to get out my 12-gun shotgun and call the police. 
I mean, um, hopefully I'm not going to fire it. Just, hey, get off my roof. Well, that, my, my roof goes like this and at different angles. Here's a flat roof. And there's usually steps going up to the top. Often they're dry foods, grain, things up there. Uh, when it's hot and there's a breeze, they would, they would sleep up there. So perhaps they make their way and watch out, watch out. So they're carrying this guy up, trying not to drop him off the litter as they carry him up the steps. And they get up to the top, and what do they do? Now here's, uh, uh, they have reconstructed uh, what they think the roofs would have been like. There would have been cross timbers going across, and then they would have laid hay and straw across them, and often uh, clay there, when it says tiles in Luke, it would be chunks of clay that they, they would have there, and uh, would look something like this, and they, they suggest that they probably started off on the side to try and dig down through and see where the timbers are. You don't want to knock the timbers down, the whole roof caves in. So they're, they're working on, okay, how are we going to get this thing uh, down through? Now, Mark... Uh, probably was not an eyewitness of this, and it's recorded that a lot of his information came from Peter. Now, Peter was there. Can you imagine Peter telling the story to Mark? Yeah, we're sitting in there. And you would not believe. All of a sudden, we hear this clunk, 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 clunk up there, and all of a sudden, there's a little shaft of light. The dirt's coming back, and Jesus keeps right on, right on teaching, and pretty soon there's some more, and then there's a hole in the roof. And you wouldn't believe how big a hole they had to, had to make to lower this guy. They lowered him on his litter. Now, I don't know if they, did, did they fasten him sideways like this and tie him on the thing? Did they have a hole big enough to come down? Matthew goes, that's not the point. The point is they lowered him right in the midst of the, that room, in front of Jesus. Now, I don't know what the owner, if Peter, if that was Peter's house, what, what he's thinking. Who, who are these guys destroying my roof? You're coming back. You're going to fix it for me. No. The point here is these are determined men on behalf of their friend and ingenuity. We know. We know who can heal. We couldn't get them in, but we're going to get them in at whatever cost it takes. So you go, you go to the text, behold. And what does Jesus say? I mean, <laughs> the guy finally gets down there in front of Jesus, and he's expecting to be physically healed. We saw the previous account, all that were brought to them. Jesus healed all of them. And what does he hear from Jesus? He hears these words. My son Take heart, be of good courage, be strong. Your sins are forgiven you. Wow. <laughs> he went there for physical healing, and Jesus was pronounced to him a spiritual healing. Now that, that tense, it's a passive tense, your sins are forgiven you, it just clarifies that you don't forgive yourself. You're not the one doing the forgiving. God does the forgiving. Now, how do we flesh that out in 
the Bible. It's true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. If, I, I just go to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the, we, we don't read here that uh, the man asked for forgiveness. But what we do see is when Jesus saw their faith, that's a plural, and I take it not only the four men who are carrying him, they're, they're showing their faith by bringing the guy in, their faith is in action, but he's also seeing the faith of the paralytic. So I take it that he had an understanding, at least sufficient understanding of his sin, of who Jesus was, not full-blown post-resurrection understanding, but sufficient understanding that Jesus said to him, my son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, take a look at the second behold. <laughs> Although I don't know what the temperature was in the house, but it suddenly temperature is rising because of the scribes and the Pharisees. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. He is saying something that only God has the right to say. Remember David, Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned and done it evil in your sight. Well, didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Didn't he sin against his other family? Didn't he sin against the nation? Who didn't David sin against? But when he says, against you, you only have I sinned, he's recognizing that all sin is ultimately against God. I can pronounce someone, if they agree with Scripture, of who God is and how to have their sins taken care of, I can say to them, pronounce your sins are forgiven, but I cannot do the forgiving. Only God can do the forgiving. And they say, this man is blaspheming. He's ascribing to himself something that only God can do. Now, they were wrong on that part because they didn't recognize who Jesus really is. But they were right on the second part, that only God can forgive sin. That's in the parallel uh, account. And so um, Jesus then says to them, This is really um, a reflective question if you think about it. Notice they didn't say this out loud. Verse 4, why do you think evil in your hearts? These are what, so Jesus not only saw the heart condition of the man lying there, he also saw the condition of their hearts. And he said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? Now, if you really understand which one is more difficult in the ultimate sense, in the ultimate sense, it's, it's really harder because only God can do that to forgive sins. As a matter of fact, it cost Jesus his very life, that he willingly came and died. But they're thinking, those are just words. 
Those are just words. There's no reality to them. This man is blaspheming. So he says, okay, so that you may know, you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, stand up. Take that stretcher and go home. Wow. Right in the middle of everybody? Can you see? Can you see it's crowd? Make way, make way. He's coming out. He's jumping up and down, whatever he can do with his with his his stretcher. He's heading out the door. His friends are looking down through the roof. They're probably saying, Hallelujah! He, he got healed. And he goes out the door. And he and he rose and he went home. And then we have the record of the crowds who respond to the healing. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. Who, who is this that not only can pronounce sins, but he can heal a paralytic like that? And they also glorified God who had given such authority to men. We're about ready to partake of the Lord's table. When we partake of the Lord's table, what we're doing is we're giving thanks to God who has forgiven our sins. If you are a true believer, if you have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you are welcome. We practice what is called open communion. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ and never have trusted uh, him as your Savior for sin, there's nothing wrong. Just, just watch, just uh, observe. So, what, what do we come away from this text with this? I'm going to ask four quick questions. Do you recognize your need for forgiveness? We all have sinned, every single one of us, including this preacher, sins of commission and sins of omission. If you think you have not sinned, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in us. And do you know Jesus? Jesus, what, what did the angel say? Why do you name him Jesus? He's the one who will save his people from their sins. Later on in John, he says this, If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You do not want to die in your sins. What an awful, awful picture that is. And do you know how to receive his forgiveness? You receive his forgiveness through faith, through trust in him. You believe in him. You recognize your sinfulness, and you just cry out, Jesus, save me. And he says, all who come to me, I will by no means cast out. So have you trusted him for the forgiveness of sin? Dylan, please come lead us in the Lord's table.